Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Ian Dawson. With me is Aaron Miller. This is our news roundup episode for the week in which we talk uh, in a little more depth about a few of the week's major news items. Um, we did a question of the week episode earlier in the week about Apple's earnings. That's our traditional quarterly deep dive on Apple earnings. So if you haven't uh, caught that episode yet, go look for it in your uh, podcast app if that's of interest to you. Um, just Two other quick plugs. One, a reminder that I do a separate podcast on a daily basis, much shorter than these, uh, called Tech Narratives Podcast. I've been doing that for just over a month now. Um, People seem to be getting some value out of it. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, perhaps on your commute on your way home or in the morning the following day, as a sort of roundup of the day's news and what to make of it uh, in consumer tech and media, then give that a try. The other one is, I mentioned this on the other Beyond Devices Podcast episode earlier in the week, but... Uh, I spent some time recently talking to uh, Bernard Leong, who runs the Analyze Asia podcast, and we did we recorded two separate episodes at the same time, one on uh, Chinese tech giants and SoftBank. The other one was a deep dive on Samsung, very much along the lines of what we often do uh, for our question of the week episode. Uh, and that episode went live this week. So uh, just a quick plug again for the Analyze Asia podcast, which is great in general uh, as providing insights on tech in Asia, but also the, the episode this week that uh, we did that deep dive on Samsung. Uh, that's worth a listen as well. So on to today's news roundup. Uh, three things we'll definitely cover. One other possible thing we might cover if we have time. So the three we'll definitely cover. We're going to talk about GoPro and Fitbit earnings, which both came out in the last few days, and kind of compare and contrast those a little bit. Uh, secondly, we're going to talk about a Bloomberg report that Facebook is working on a couple of pieces of hardware for the home including a voice speaker and some sort of video communications device with a large screen. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the HomePod firmware that was uh, released accidentally, apparently, by Apple uh, over the weekend and which has been the source of many interesting tidbits about the forthcoming iPhone hardware. So those are the three topics we'll definitely cover, and there's one other we might get to if we have time. Uh, Starting with GoPro and Fitbit, both companies... We've often lumped them together as we've talked about them in the past here, and, and I think there's a lot they have in common. They are sort of single product category companies in uh, categories and in a broader market that increasingly leans towards ecosystems and big uh, conglomerate type companies. Um, they both went through a rapid growth phase and IPO during that phase, and then shortly afterwards began to struggle. And over the last couple of years, both have seen significant revenue declines and as a result been plunged into the red and have struggled to return to profitability. Um, However, this week, I think the differences between those two companies kind of became clearer than they've been for a while, with Fitbit really continuing to struggle, mostly looking forward to a smartphone, smartwatch launch in the fall, um, but not really having a lot to say about turning things around this year, really talking about this year as a transitional year. GoPro, on the other hand, starting to recover, starting to grow again, uh, shrink the losses, and really also articulating a strategy Uh, for the future that makes a lot more sense that seems a lot clearer than we've seen from them in the recent past so uh, interesting to start to see some some uh, clear blue water sort of emerging between these two companies as it were over the last few days but Aaron I don't know if you kind of had any insights from either of those earnings this past few days I think it has more to do with their product categories um, than any special management prowess I, I mean only because it's so hard to be a single task product company in tech because it's so easy for whatever it is you're doing to get assimilated by some more broadly useful device. Um, 
and, uh, and and I think that was the existential threat for both companies was smartphones or smartwatches essentially you know eating away at the market for the, for both product categories. It makes more sense that an action camera like GoPro could be a platform that would withstand the unitasker, um, or sorry, that would is that would withstand the multitasker attack. Um, because, you know, people aren't generally going to be attaching smartphones to their head or to their helmet. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, I think GoPro just got, just was growing too aggressively in terms of it, the size of the company, not necessarily the size of their sales or, pro- or product or market. Um, I'm a lot less. And so I, I could see a place for GoPro sticking around for a long time to come. <clears throat> because it's hard to imagine a multitasking device taking over what GoPro's bread and butter is all about. I I don't feel the same way at all about Fitbit. And I think unless they actually can produce a smartwatch that's competitive in the market, um, you know, they're they're burning through customers, right? They're, they have a lot of customer churn where people buy one, and, and that's been your experience personally with right. one of these devices. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody buys one or gets it as a gift, and then they're done with it nine months later. Um, you're going to run out of customers, and that's your model. Right, right. Yeah, that's, those are some interesting thoughts for sure. I, th- I think there's definitely some truth to those. I think one of the challenges for GoPro has been people buy one of these cameras, they capture this amazing footage, and then it just sits in the device, and they just don't know what to do with it because their tools for sharing stuff have been really poor. And so to some extent, I think in that sense, they've suffered from the same problem where people buy one, think it's amazing for a very brief period of time, and then it sort of sits in a drawer because they realize they don't need it or use it or or get any value from it on an ongoing basis. And so uh, one of the things that they've done recently is launched this uh, quick, and it's called Quick Stories, um, Q-U-I-K, without a C, um, a- app for smartphones, which automatically pulls the footage off the most recent versions of their hardware and then creates shareable videos from it. So it basically takes all the work out of it, just automates all of that and creates something that can be shared on Instagram or on Facebook or just posted to YouTube or whatever. Um, and that overcomes one of the biggest single frustrations that people have with GoPro. So that's, in, to my mind, it's a sort of sign that they are now finally starting to move in the right direction in terms of adding value to the hardware. The hardware itself keeps getting better as well. Um, and to your point, smartphones don't compete directly with uh, the GoPro in the same way that, say, smartwatches compete with fitness devices. And so there are definitely differences between their models. But one of the most interesting things about the GoPro earnings call this time around was that management really kind of talked about what to me at least is a very significant shift in how they see themselves. You know, they've seen themselves as a standalone product category of action cameras. And their positioning now is that their cameras are an extension of the smartphone, that they very much see this as uh, something that belongs with the smartphone, where the smartphone is going to be central to the experience. And basically this is a an untethered lens for your smartphone is kind of what they said. So you kind of add an additional camera to your smartphone and increase the capabilities of your smartphone, but kind of seeing the smartphone as the center of the world, which is very different from how they've positioned themselves in the past. And the other big shift is that they're very much focused on their current customer base and people who look a lot like them. So in the past, they've sort of made this argument that there was this much bigger total address 
successful market out there beyond the people who currently buy action cameras and they just had to kind of find them and tap into that market and they're being a lot more realistic now I feel like which is saying hey there's a certain segment of people out there who care about this stuff we need to go after them get them to buy new devices give them these apps so they get more value out of the devices they have and stick with the platform and and, buy accessories and other things and that is actually what's driving the turnaround for them at the moment that and a recovery from you know in, in fairness, uh, some really bad product decisions around a product called the Hero Session that launched a couple of years ago at completely the wrong price uh, and you know massively undersold their expectations. They had to cut the price significantly to undermine their other products. There were some real specific decisions a couple of years ago that were a big part of their problems. But you know, there's a lot in their strategy that's changed over the last few months, and that really does seem to actually be paying dividends for them. Yeah, and 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 I think those are all the reasons that make sense because they have a core product that they can build this ecosystem off of that's not going to be assaulted. Whereas I just don't see that for Fitbit. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. know, we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well let's move on to our second story, which is uh, Bloomberg's report. This is Mark Gurman, who's known for leaking stuff about uh, or, or finding leaks about Apple products and sharing those with the world. Uh, now at Bloomberg and uh, share the story about Facebook and sp- two specific devices it's supposed to be working on, a sort of an Amazon Echo-like voice speaker for the home, and then a second device which has a big screen, supposedly, somewhere in sort of 13 to 15-inch uh, diagonal screen size, uh, and is designed for video conferencing and has very clever cameras and things so that it can uh, detect where people are in the room, potentially focus on those people, zoom in on them, you know, otherwise uh, do cleverer things than most sort of video communication devices do. Um, a few weeks back, there was a report from Digitimes that Facebook was working on a single device that was described as kind of having all these features. And so, uh, and Digitimes has a pretty patchy track record when it comes to this stuff. Uh, Bloomberg and Mark Gurman specifically has a much better record. So I'm much more inclined to believe that this is actually a thing. And the fact that it's two separate devices makes a lot more sense as well. So uh, in that sense, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to give this a fair amount of credibility. It certainly fits with a recent trend that basically everybody and their dog is getting into the voice speaker business at the moment. And we're in that kind of phase of things where there's going to be a massive expansion and the players in it. doesn't mean they're all going to be successful by any means. And, and we should certainly talk about what we think the prospects are for these devices at Facebook. But Aaron, what was your take on, on that report? Yeah, it feels not unlike back when Amazon made the Fire Phone. <laughs> I mean, smartphones were growing very very rapidly at the time that amazon launched it and i think the rationale was well let's get a piece of this let's let's sort of get a beachhead right in this area um it failed pretty badly i don't know i i don't love facebook i use it because it's because it's handy in certain ways um the idea of tying in something as invasive as a as a home speaker or homes you know like screen kind of thing like that can be personally it, it I, it's unsettling to me like trusting facebook with that sort of access to my home mm. um because so much of what they do is so intensely data driven right. um and, and in fact in more critical ways i think than even google experiences um in their business model and mm. uh and so i think they're going to have a real um they're going to have a unique battle in that regard in terms of privacy. And I, I just think there aren't enough people that really love Facebook that they have. I, I think there are a lot of people who like it and are happy to use it um, for what it does for them. I don't think there are enough people that love Facebook that they're going to be that Facebook can count on um, a lot of this goodwill carrying over into a product like that. Mm-hmm. It's just going to have to be a really great product all on its own. Right. 
Um, and it's not clear to me how Facebook is going to do that better than anybody else is doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth talking about the two products separately probably for a bit too. And, you know, in the voice speaker market, Amazon got in with essentially no experience in voice assistance or any kind of assistance at all yeah. and did very well. But it didn't exist as a market. It kind of started really small. Exactly. You know, it wasn't massive promotion. They got the opportunity to kind of learn a lot in the beginning and sort of slowly grow it into something that it is today. You know, Facebook coming in today much from the same position with no experience in real, really voice, uh, no experience in providing any kind of assistance, no experience in answer, answering people's questions or anything like that. Um, you know, and frankly, a business model that's dependent on advertising, um, you know, that feels like a real uphill struggle to me. So I, I don't doubt they could create yeah. a device that would have some interesting features to it, but I do think it's a bit of an odd product for, for Facebook specifically, even though, you know, as you say, it's a very hot market right now. Um, that, that one I'm very skeptical of. I think the video communication device feels a lot more at least aligned with things that Facebook could be good at. Um, you know, obviously huge video business right now. And, and I would expect, you know, although the, the focus may be video communication, you know, we've already seen from the Amazon Echo show that that can be an interesting feature. But once you've got the screen, you can do lots of other interesting stuff with it. And given Facebook's emphasis on video right now, if there's a screen that big, it would obviously be pretty good in a uh, kitchen setting or something for watching videos from Facebook, especially with all the original content they're investing in at the moment. So feels like that one at least has a stronger value proposition and a stronger tie back to Facebook's core uh, competencies and the things that people sort of see Facebook doing well. Um, but Facebook's never made hardware before. They bought Oculus, which makes yeah. hardware, but Facebook itself has never made it. This would be the first hardware coming out of the Building 8 group uh, run by Regina Dugan, who came over from Google, where she ran sort of advanced projects division there. Um, you know, a lot of the other stuff she's working on is crazy far out there stuff, which is, you know, brain uh, computer interfaces and all sorts of things like that. So, you know, this would be a real departure in all kinds of ways for Facebook. And Facebook doesn't have any channels for selling this stuff, you know, perhaps borrow a little bit from the Oculus channels. But other than that, really has no history in this space. So although, as I say, I think this is the one of the two devices that makes more sense to me, it still feels like a big stretch for Facebook to try to get into this space. Yeah, although I, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of faith that the rumors are true. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is the sort of thing, this is exactly the sort of thing that you can picture Facebook trying. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm just really skeptical of it. I, I think the home speaker, the home assistant speaker market still, uh, there's a lot still to be figured out there. Right. But I don't think you're going to see a ton of players in that space. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's ever going to be very big. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the video uh, conferencing kind of device, I mean, video video chat has been a thing for years and years and years. Mm. And the, it's great for, like, the occasional FaceTime. Yeah. But a lot of people just prefer texting or communicating yeah. or messaging yeah. in no, other I, ways. I definitely think about it and as kind of the, the grandparent communication yeah, method. Yeah, and that's a, that's a pretty slim... Those are slim pickings as yeah. far as a market proposition goes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, especially if it's a yeah. big premium device, it's going to cost hundreds of dollars. Which you know, yeah. you imagine a device like this probably would with the kind of sophisticated technology that the Bloomberg report talks about. Yeah, and if Facebook is investing in original content, there's no way they're going to bind its fate to this uh, to this one device. Yeah, and it'll be a, it'll be a place to watch it. But so is an iPad and a mm -hmm. and and a, and a Chromecast and yeah. any number of other no, devices. No, absolutely. I mean, they've already got the, the Facebook video app for Apple TV and for other platforms right. and so on. So, you know, obviously much broader than that. 
Um, yeah, worth remembering too, of course, that Facebook's dabbled in phones as well in the past. They've never made their own phone hardware, but had a partnership with HTC. They, they launched yeah. their own launcher for Android devices a while back. You know, they have dabbled in other hardware categories, albeit not directly, and obviously failed there too. So, I think know, they I, dodged a bullet on a much bigger mistake there, actually. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but never yeah. jumping in all the way to do their own. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. All right, well, let's move on to third uh, topic, which is these leaks. And still not entirely clear to me, I don't know if it is to you, exactly how this HomePod firmware leaked out. It seems to have been released by Apple somehow through some official channel, but I haven't quite been able to glean exactly where or how or how something like that happens accidentally. But uh, at any rate, the HomePod firmware uh, was released over the weekend uh, to developers, uh, one of whom... Uh, Steve, I'm going to get his name wrong, Stephen Troughton-Smith, I think is his name, uh, who spends a lot of time digging through this stuff for interesting clues. It has done so with this new firmware over the weekend and come up with all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, not about the HomePod. I mean, there is some interesting stuff in there about the HomePod and the sort of display that sits on top of it and various other things about it. Uh, but the, by far the more interesting stuff has been about the iPhone hardware that's releasing this fall, which yeah. uh, you know is a sign that this this firmware was never meant to be released to the public and therefore wasn't scrubbed of all this sort of uh, you know very very secret stuff that was in there. Um, but it's it's you know there's a, a sort of a simplified rendering of what the uh, front of the device looks like with a cutout at the top of the screen for the sensors and camera. Um, details about biometric uh, unlocking using. Uh, infrared cameras there's a sort of uh, tap to wake feature that's been uh, mentioned uh, and a whole slew of other things as well so really uh, must be pretty shocking to apple at a time when it's really cracked down very <laughs> successfully on supply chain uh, rumors yeah. and so on to have something like this leak out from itself basically and, and i presume whoever was responsible is in a fair amount of trouble at this point but uh, uh, some interesting stuff coming out of it i don't know if anything stood out to you in particular aaron well, I, um, I, the facial recognition thing seems like a lock now. I, I mean, it's the idea that Touch ID might be entirely replaced by a, 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 an infrared face scan. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that's going to be the new Touch ID, um, which I'm, I don't know, I'm excited about. I mean, we talked about this before in a previous mm. episode, and we basically came to the conclusion that there's no way they're going to replace Touch ID with a face scanning technology unless it works as good or better than Touch ID. Right. Um, and at the time, both of us were a little bit skeptical about, I think, you more than me, though. Mm -hmm. but, um, but, you know, now that there's pretty distinct evidence of it there, I'm kind of excited to see what manifests itself that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I got to say that, and then the other cool thing is the camera seems like it's going to get more, some pretty dramatic improvements. It looks like there's going to be 4K recording on both the front and back cameras, that there's going to be a scene recognition um, like feature built in so that it'll actually optimize the way it captures, um, like the way it'll optimize exposure and everything else based on the type of scene that thinks that you're shooting, whether it's sports or landscape or whatever. Um, I'd be fascinated to see how that works. I, you know, we've talked a long time ago about how DSLRs have sort of had this um, wall that smartphones have a hard time climbing over simply because of physics. And Apple started to, f started to break down that wall a bit last year with portrait mode because um, when you have two lenses shooting and you can detect the difference between them, software can create the equivalent of a nice blurry background for a portrait shot. And uh, I wonder how much more they're going to be able to accomplish this year with software where, uh, you know, essentially the physics of a DSLR are being approximated by, 
by algorithms. And it's kind of exciting to think about what is coming next that way. Um, I, you know, the uh, I got to say generally, though, about this leak is, you know, I, I don't want to get all conspiracy theory because I don't think this was an intentional leak, but it has all the benefits of an intentional leak because it's always around this time of the year anyway that Apple is dropping something with, you know, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or some other right. bigger publication. They're placing some rumors to kind of generate some buzz about the about the next iPhone that's launching or or to soften, you know, eventual disappointment. Like last year, I think it was a lock that Apple was the one who leaked that the iPhone 7 wasn't going to be a huge, you know, physical update. Right, and the headphone jack thing too, probably. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was I think that was Apple sort of getting the disappointment out of the way before the announcement came. Yeah. Um, this has the timing of a deliberate leak. It would be a crazy way for them to leak it deliberately, so I really don't think it was. No. But I think they're getting some great, great press out of it as a result, and I think there's a, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement building up because there's there are concrete things for people to imagine coming. Yeah. And uh, that's a great thing because it's putting off smartphone purchases of other devices. Mm-hmm. It's true people aren't buying iPhones as much right now either, but right. that's true every year. Um, what's happening right now is there are a bunch of people considering other smartphones, and this sort of news makes them hit the pause button and say, you know what, I can hang on for another two months. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's not – I mean, as, as frustrated as Apple may be with the leak – and I mean, what's really kind of a silly slip up getting that firmware out to developers. Um, it is, it is having, I think a net very positive benefit for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I mean, clearly most of the leaks in, in years past and specifically the ones you mentioned were designed, as you said, to get the disappointment out of the way first, kind of so that yeah. people's expectations were lowered. Um, this isn't that way at all. There's nothing here that sounds disappointing. To your point, it's more exciting. Um, yeah. And in that sense, I mean, the main benefit is perhaps that people put off buying other phones because they're anticipating this stuff. But a lot of this stuff was kind of out there already in some shape or form. It's just becoming a bit more concrete, I guess, a result of this stuff. Right. Um, the thing that's worth remembering, of course, with, with all these leaks, and you know, we said this last year in relation to the headphone jack and various other things is, the problem with leaks is you you never get the explanation for it. Uh, you don't get how it actually works in practice, how well it actually works in practice. All you get is a feature list or you get a picture of something or, uh, you know, in this case, a simplified rendering of the outside of the device or something. So, you know, you don't get any of the details that make it a sort of fully formed idea that you can then really evaluate. Um, and so, you know, all the confirmations about face unlock, for example, and, and the role of infrared, which presumably would come into play in dark environments, that's great in theory. Does it work in practice? You know, that's what we all really care about. And, you know, the yeah. cutouts at the top of the screen, well, that's interesting. You know, uh, how are they going to handle that? You know, how are they going to deal with the home button? And we've seen lots of interesting theories out there this week about how they might handle some of this stuff, but they are just theories. And so, you know, in some ways, for all that this stuff is interesting, the most interesting thing will still be come September to see, okay, how does it actually work? Does it do it as well as we think it might do it? Is it going to blow us away or is it going to be ho-hum? You know, is face not going to be, you know, actually an advance on Touch ID or at the very least parity with Touch ID in terms of ease of use and, and effectiveness and security? Or is it going to be a step backwards? You know, all these questions still remain unanswered for now and we're not going to get answers i think until you know early september in terms of theory and then late september in terms of practice so um you know in that sense i'm I'm glad there's still a lot of that detail 
uh, to come, I guess. Yeah, it does make it more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, um, I, I think another interesting thing about this leak is just how little it revealed about the HomePod. Because there's still a lot of big questions. Yes. Yeah. I mean, about what Siri is going to be able to do. And I, I suspect a lot of this just has to do with the fact that I think the the features of the HomePod are tied to server-side right. developments. And so that's why we don't really know. But it's so fascinating that that, that, that we, other than the screen <laughs> on yeah. the top of the device, mm-hmm. we really don't know very much more about it, even though it was the HomePod firmware ultimately that got leaked. Right, right, and 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 only released, only revealed all this stuff about the iPhone because it's basically right. running a version of iOS, um, yeah. which was the other kind of interesting. I mean, that was kind of what I think I suspect we all suspected beforehand, but sure. sort of confirmation that it's basically running iOS with all the a lot of the iOS services in place. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have a few minutes left, so I think we will jump onto that fourth topic, um, which is just to talk about some of the interesting market share numbers that have come out over the last few days. Um, Strategy Analytics, IDC, a number of other companies have released market share numbers for several key sort of consumer technology categories like smartphones, tablets, uh, wearables, and so on. Uh, Over the last few days, they typically tend to hold off on releasing those numbers until Apple reports, which often is the last jigsaw puzzle piece to come. And then they release their numbers as quickly as they can afterwards because it's a pretty competitive industry. Um, A few themes from that. One is that the big... Uh, non-Chinese companies have still been performing well and obviously Samsung and Apple specifically in smartphones and tablets doing very well Um, Apple also in smartwatches Um, but one of the big themes for me is just kind of the rise of the Chinese vendors and so if you look on a global basis uh, the Chinese vendors were in I think three of the top five slots and seven of the top ten slots for smartphones Uh, in wearables Xiaomi had the highest number of shipments and we can talk about how comparable that product is with the others in the market but in terms of pure shipment numbers they were top Uh, Huawei took the third spot in tablets behind Apple and Samsung for the first time squeezing out Lenovo so really interesting and Lenovo of course itself a Chinese vendor so you know real rise of Chinese vendors Huawei in particular putting in a really strong showing in in smartphones and tablets with really strong growth Um, just really feels like there's this theme at the moment of the Chinese vendors just becoming increasingly powerful, not just in China, but on a global basis, you know, gaining share in a lot of other emerging markets. In the case of Huawei and smartphones, gaining share even in European countries. There's a report from the information today about them potentially bringing their flagship phone to AT&T in the near future, which would be a huge breakthrough for them because the US market is one place where the Chinese companies really haven't broken through in these categories. So some interesting kind of themes coming out of all of that. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, as far as the smartphone share goes, this is all obviously pre-iPhone 8. Um, but I don't think we can take for granted that the iPhone 8 is going to be huge in China or or even most of the rest of the world because it's looking like it's going to be a, a, a more expensive phone by, you know, 100 to $200. That's a, that's a pretty huge jump for a lot of the parts of the world. Um, but that said, I think the iPhone 8 is, is going to be a super cycle. So I, I think um, it, although obviously Chinese smartphone vendors are, are, are seeing incredible growth, um, I think the idea that they're taking over is an idea that's going to be stalled for at least a year, um, simply because the, the next iPhone is going to be a really big deal. Yeah, no, that's an interesting thought. Um, there is clearly some pausing going on in China right now in terms of people kind of holding off on buying new iPhones, which is right. part of the sort of declining market share numbers you've seen, which are all about shipments, not installed base. 
And so there is some pent-up demand that could be released in much the same way as the iPhone 6 you know, released a lot of that pent-up demand in China several years ago. Um, but yeah, some of these things definitely could shift. I mean, Huawei is feeling like uh, the m- most interesting sort of up-and-coming vendor from from a global perspective. They're not up-and-coming at all in China. They've been there for years and years and been doing very well there. But from a global perspective now, sort of the most interesting challenger to kind of the dominance of Apple and Samsung across some of these major categories. Um, you know, Fitbit was sort of second in that wearables category, but but the one, two, three rankings in wearables, you know, Xiaomi, Fitbit, and Apple in Q2, specifically by shipments, uh, they really just kind of highlight how these three dominate three entirely different markets. Yeah, so, you know, I Xiaomi totally agree. dominates the cheap Asian market. Fitbit dominates the dedicated fitness tracker market at sort of a hundred dollar ASP, and then Apple uh, dominates the smartwatch market today. So you're really measuring three different markets and kind of lumping them all together into a single comparison, which isn't entirely reasonable. But you know, those three, Samsung, somewhat behind, kind of the sort of second player in smartwatches. And then everybody else kind of far behind that with Garmin and some others, you know, in a completely different segment again with the sort of GPS-based high-end running trackers and things like that. Um, You know, really interesting sort of fragmentation in the wearables market with different players uh, dominating different parts of that market. And there's a lot more room for fragmentation to to stay alive in that market for a long time because, because wearables are not, they're not a platform the way smartphones are. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, like, mm-hmm. like the reason we've have this dichotomy, you know, this duopoly, I should say, of of smartphone OSs is, is because the platform matters immensely. It's not really the case for wearables, um, where where it's a platform that matters, where because platforms create a winner takes all kind of environment. Right. Um, because and, you have to uh, track developers and so on. Exactly, and that's not the case for wearables. Uh, at least, fit, you know, at least as long as they're focused on fitness. I don't know what else they might do in the future, but, but you know, that's why a Xiaomi really cheap, low end wearable can do great because it's it, if anything, it's actually participating in a smartphone platform rather than being it's a platform of its own right. Right. And as long as that's true, there's always going to be a ton of room at the bottom of the market for for cheap competition. I mean, I guess this all matters because somebody who buys a Fitbit or a Xiaomi won't buy an Apple Watch and vice versa. Right. Um, but it's not like it's driving additional bigger forces like like uh, like like uh, developers, you know, uh, choosing a platform. Right. No, that's a really good point. Okay, well, I think we'll wrap up with that. So that's our four topics for the day. Um, as usual, we'll have some notes in the show notes, uh, links and things to some of the stories and things that we've talked about today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. hope you've had a good week. Have a great weekend. And we'll be back with you next week with some new episodes. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.